Welcome, everybody, uh, to The Stacks. Uh, this is Jay, the curator. And I am Shanna. I showed up and and Jay let me stay. Co-host, librarian, something, I don't know. Co-curator? Mm -hmm. uh, Mission Impossible stealer of the DVDs? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, no, you'd know where they were going. Uh, so this week we are covering, uh, first, Memories of Murder, the 2003 Bong Joon-ho film. This is sort of his big breakthrough film, uh, his second feature. Uh, I, I have seen the first one. I don't believe you have. Uh, it's uh, Barking Dogs Never Bite. Oh, that was him. Oh, yeah, yeah we that. saw you, that on a... We did that for yeah. a movie night a while back, yeah. Yeah, it was the, the where the, it's in this apartment complex and... Anyway, yeah, that that was a crazy movie too. Yeah, so that that's his prior film, uh, and it wasn't much of a success. Uh, this one was really big, and this one's sort of like the one that launched his career uh, for reasons you can totally see, having seen it now. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> holy! I thought I was watching a comedy at first. <laughs> There's certainly elements of it. Uh, There's elements of it, much like Parasite, uh, which is now kind of largely accepted as being uh, a black comedy genre, but I don't know if that's really accurate. I, it's certainly part of the film, but I don't know if comedy uh, accurately describes the film or, well, or any of his work. There, there's comedy in he his doesn't... work, but it's not, they're not strictly comedic works. They're well, I've read... a lot harder than that. Yeah, no, I've read somewhere. He doesn't really believe in genre. He just, makes the movie i guess yeah which, which i think makes, makes sense. It, it shows through in his work mm -hmm. uh, and i guess especially here this is based on a very famous true story uh the first acknowledged serial killer case in korean history uh and this is about the investigation into the case uh the sort of culture of police in korea at this point in time and sort of uh, the where things were in terms of uh, Korea as an authoritarian state. Yeah. And about how serial killer investigations just completely fuck up the minds of the people involved. Always, yeah. And it, there, there's definitely a lot of it like uh, Zodiac, which came out a couple years later, I think four years later, uh, Fincher's Zodiac, which you've also seen too, right? Oh, yes, I have seen that. That was, was that Ruffalo? Uh, yeah, Ruffalo as uh, Toski, Toshi. Yeah, that's right. Uh, great movie, and I, I feel it has a lot in common with this. They're both about murders that, uh, serial killer cases that at the time the movies were made were unsolved. Uh, this one now has been solved, whereas uh, the Zodiac case has not. Uh, this was solved in 2019, 16 years after the movie came out. Uh, they do now have the person who did it he has been in jail for uh i think 16 years or something already uh, oh wow it's, it's someone who he got arrested for murdering his sister-in-law at the end of this string of murders ah uh, and then it just turned out he was the just, guy who did the other ones uh, dna evidence finally uh did resolve it and found the guy and he was just already in jail <laughs> all right well that's good i so guess interest, especially interesting in in light of uh, what this movie's about and how 
you know, the how important the DNA evidence is, and then when it comes back to them here, it's inconclusive. Mm-hmm. Which, which they they didn't like it because that means that they got to keep going. They don't have the right guy. More, more mergers could still happen. Well, it's not even that they don't necessarily have the right guy. It's that they don't know for sure. And there's right. No That's way what for it was. They for sure. Yeah, yeah. They couldn't eliminate him from the thing, but they couldn't prove it either. And because of all the all the stuff that they had done before, they couldn't just keep him and do what. We're getting ahead of ourselves here. Quite a bit. Uh, so we we open pretty basically with a, there's a body found in a culvert next to a really large field uh, near a factory, uh, and we we open with Sung Kang Ho, who's the main investigator as Inspector Park. Uh, Sung Kang Ho's pretty great. Uh, he's kind of I, I think he's sort of the biggest uh, Korean film star right now. He's like the guy. Uh, well, he's the only one I whose face I could recognize in a crowd. He's in a lot of stuff. Like, yeah, I, oh, I've been good. catching up. Oh, he's so good. Uh, I, I've been like, obviously he's the, uh, one of the main stars of uh, Parasite as well. He's in a few other Bong Joon-ho films. Uh, I can't even remember what else I've seen him in. There's uh, not the happiness of the categories, but Oh, the quiet family uh, is, is an early picture he's in that he's really great. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's very excellent. He is, uh, Inspector Park, the main investigator in, uh, this case. And so this is closely based on the, the, the truth, like the, the facts of the case, but it's not closely based on the entire investigation. Like it is a fictionalized version of some of the investigation, although a lot of the specifics are real. Oh, interesting. Because uh, I was thinking, if I hadn't already gotten a bit of a true crime background just from listening to all these different podcasts and all these different investigations, I would think it was completely fiction because of how just just how the police are acting. But it's like, nope, this is kind of how people, kind of how the cops were with serial killers. And in a lot of places still In a are. lot of places, yeah. <laughs> Not everywhere, but... Well, and, and just in a lot of places still are because yes. it, it's just it, people don't know how to deal with it. And it's a difficult crime to deal with. Uh, like, I, I, I think especially in Russia, they had very similar issues to this where their whole legal system depends on the confession. And, you know, they they just couldn't get people to confess even if they did it. So they couldn't get the crime resolved, right? Right, right. Uh, and this seems like... Similar to that, we we have a lot of emphasis on them getting these guys to confess, even though uh, the confessions that they get tend to be ultimately worthless. And that comes up a few times here. Although, again, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, he's he's investigating this body. Um, And the crime scene is just total chaos. Right. Right. The chaos of the crime scene. There's these huge crowds, reporters everywhere. People just stomping through everything nothing is roped off someone's driving a tractor through it the forensic team just didn't show up at all yeah someone's like sliding down the hill for fun (laughs) it's a media circus before the investigation has even started right and this is 1986 uh which is 
you know, there, there had already been a lot of serial killer cases worldwide. So this is the first yeah. one in Korea and it's, you know, obviously a big media circus, especially uh -huh. because the government was sort of in a weird place at this time. This is uh, sort of a quasi-revolutionary era, uh, military government, very authoritarian and a lot of student uprisings. And we see flashes of that throughout. Uh, and there's a lot of scrutiny of police violence coming oh, yes. as well. Uh, yep. Which obviously is very important here. Uh, uh, so as we see, they, they very quickly find someone that they kind of maybe like for the investigation, uh, and they, they bring the guy back and, uh, really interesting detail. They have these little special booties for kicking suspects with. Oh yes. My, the stomping boot guards. <laughs> so he puts this this cloth thing around his feet so that when he stomps the shit it's not not our main guy but his partner uh when he stomps the shit out of people you can't tell like what boot was used it just looks like a, it's basically so the idea is so that he can't be charged with police brutality but it's actually stupid because he obviously got kicked by the guy with the cloth shoe booty <laughs> the one that he has with him everywhere. Yeah, he uh, and, keeps it with him! <laughs> and it doesn't help that every time he's involved with some kind of investigation or, or some kind of bad guy, he does a two-legged dropkick to the guy. Like, you, you see him fly through the air and hit multiple people in this movie. Oh, it's the very first thing. He, okay, so th th this guy, um, Inspector Joe, I think he's called. Yes, I believe um, so. He's introduced um, as uh, Inspector Park is interrogating the suspect. He's like, well, the guy coming down the stairs right now, he's not a very violent man, so he doesn't really like to beat people. And he just comes in, and the first thing he does, doesn't even say a word, just drop kicks this guy. Like, he just comes flying across the table from off the screen and hits him. Literally uh, like that, yes. Yeah, it, it's very funny. It's a signature uh, move. He does it a lot. He does it quite a few times. Uh, and the, this first person that they're talking to is the, the guy who is not mentally capable of having committed it. Not even physically capable. Yeah, yeah. He, he's a um, de developmentally challenged fellow. Yeah. Uh, and he, he lived nearby. Uh, he knew the girl. But... Uh, they're not really paying attention to anything he's saying. Yeah, no, not at all. They're, they're just trying to get him to confess to killing her. Yeah, to just make it a lot easier on them so they'll have it solved and they can move on. Yep. Uh, and, and they do basically talk him into slash feed him a confession. And there does seem to be things where he's agreeing with them, uh, which we'll learn much, much, much later uh, is because he did witness the crime, but they were not capable investigating it to get him to tell him that he witnessed the crime. Right. They, because when he was describing it, they thought he was saying, or wanted to think that he was saying that he was doing all this stuff. They didn't even realize until, again, yes, much, much, much later. <laughs> like almost like I, I think it's the last half hour of the movie they, right they at the end almost to, 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 like wait a second he had some pretty specific details there like do you think he witnessed the crime like he obviously witnessed the crime you idiots um, 
Oh, there's so much of this movie. We keep going, we keep jumping around. I love it. Well, and the investigation itself is just such a shambles. Like we, we see, uh, Park picking up. I I think when we meet So or Sue, uh, he's got in evidence just unbagged in his car. Oh, the shoes. Yeah, they were right by the gas pedal of the car, like on the floor mat. Yeah. Uh, and yes. so we, we see Sue, who's come from uh, Seoul. He, he's uh, a, the big city detective, and they're a little suspicious of him being uh, a little bit, I, I don't know, like too advanced for them. But like they, they don't, they're, they're very mistrustful of his big city ways. Yeah, yeah. Like you don't know anything about this town. <laughs> he has, oh, Park has the dumbest explanation for why this guy is a bad cop for korea is because he's smart um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because he uses what was it, it fb he uses fbi techniques now the fbi in america has to be smart because there's so much land for the criminals to hide so they have to be smart to f- flush them out but korea doesn't have land so you don't have to be smart. You just in- investigate with your feet, he says, which I guess is kind of what Joe... Oh my god, that's what Joe does. He's he investigating with his feet. With his feet. Uh, and Park, I think, likes to believe he investigates with his eyes because he, he feels like he can look a bad guy in the eye and know he's a bad guy. Uh, although, and he, he really persists with this belief right through to the end of this movie, even though there are multiple times when he is disproven. I don't think he's ever been right. <laughs> he may not ever be right. <laughs> but yeah, he, he says he's got the shaman's eyes. And he, and yeah, you see this montage of his, at the beginning of his investigation, taking in all these subjects. He's very not by the book. He doesn't investigate with his brain. No, he just has a bunch of pictures that he's got pasted in a book. Uh, he... It's it's hard to say what his process is. He's just looking for any kind of clue that he can grasp on and just like something that's easy. He's looking for some easy solution. Yeah, basically. That's that's kind of the impression I got. At first I thought he was that I was like, "Oh wow, this is going to be one of those eccentric crack shot detectives," but he's not. <laughs> no. It's fun because it really does seem like it's going to be one of those sort of movies, but then he just really is a bad cop. <laughs> he's so he's terrible. Oh, and, and he like, gets oh, yeah, This is how most cops who are like that really are. You know, when when they talk about these cops, it's like, oh, he's eccentric, but he gets the job done in movies. But it's like, no, he's eccentric and he just doesn't get anything done. But, you know, he's got a union. Oh, my God. That's, <laughs> I was just about to say, why does he still have his job at right police unions? Uh, although I don't know if they have that quite the same way in Korea, maybe. It's, well, and, and this time, obviously, very authoritarian. But so obviously, very quickly, they realize that the guy they had captured for it uh, didn't do it because he has webbed fingers and couldn't have tied the knots. Right. Uh, right. And he didn't have the finding... strength to strangle her. Yeah, that too. And like they, they find uh, each of these people tied up. Uh, and there's just no way he could have tied people's hands up. Right. Uh, so the investigation pretty much flounders right away because they just don't have anything else. They lost all the evidence immediately. They didn't really collect it to begin with. 
Yeah, yeah, it was destroyed before they got there. Oh, jeez. So we see... Uh, oh, what happened? We, we, we see uh, a killing, right? I, I think we, we get the first one that we actually get an idea of how the killings take place, because we see the rain, we see someone with red clothes. Yeah. Uh, and, and like, we, we get those connections that there's... Every time it rains, uh, and all of the victims have red clothes, or at least for the first bunch of them until this sort of... Uh, that gets told to the press, and he has to change it up. Mm-hmm. So one thing that's interesting that they notice with the first victim is that this probably, like, I don't think they come right out and say it, but they say that he's, like, his method is developed. Like, this probably isn't his first victim, even the first one they found. No, I think they mentioned that this is already the third or, f- or no, this is, this is the definite second one. And so believes there's already a third based on the details. Uh, because he knows there was another night that was rainy, uh, and that there was a girl who went missing who was wearing red clothes. Oh, that's right. He says, yes, there's a third victim, but we just haven't found the body yet. And and he is correct, and they do find yep. her shortly yes. after. Yes. Uh, and they end up befriending the exonerated first suspect's family for a bit. They buy him some bootleg Nikes. Uh, <laughs> what was it that it says on them? Nice. Nice. N-I-C-E. Right, they were nices. <laughs> well, he can't read English, so it's okay. It's, it's okay. a simple mistake to make. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> or maybe he's cheap and just bought some bootleg Nikes, because who cares? I think it's most likely it might, that one. I think one. it's a little of both. Probably a little bit of both. Um, so we, we get a lot of jockeying with the rural versus... Uh, the the city detectives we, we we see a lot of animosity between the two groups uh sue is obviously figuring things out a lot quicker he has more useful methods mm-hmm. but they're basically just running different investigations at this point pretty much entirely like yeah, he's not doing his thing each other. yeah uh, like they'll get together for dinners and talk about stuff, especially with the chief. Uh, and there's that one scene where they all get drunk with the chief and and talk the case out. <laughs> awesome. Yes, yeah, so the chief just can't handle his liquor. <laughs> uh, so first, they start sending out uh, police decoys in red on rainy nights to try and flush the killer out, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. It's a good. Doesn't concept. work. Doesn't good work idea. at all. It's a good idea. Yeah. It it is actually one of their more uh, logical thoughts, but it, it doesn't work. And we this is when we finally see uh, an actual attack take place. Right. Yeah. Uh, and also after it, when this body is discovered uh, and they're looking at the evidence, this is when Park comes up with his theory uh, that the guy is hairless. Maybe he's a Buddhist monk. Right, because there was no <laughs> pubic hair found on the girl's body, so this person must have no hair down He's like, there. He, he, yeah, he can't possibly be uh, that meticulous, so surely he's, he's bald. And it's like, okay, <laughs> so how do we go about investigating that? Part? And Joe's just like, why don't I just go down to the temple and beat people up? 
<laughs> yeah. He's got a very straightforward method of investigation. Like, I will start beating people up and someone will confess eventually. Yeah. And, but the chief asks Park, yeah, like, how do we investigate this? Smash cut to Park in a bathhouse. <laughs> yeah. Just looking at people as they go by. Checking and, them and, out. And looking pretty sheepish about it. Like, he... he clearly has committed to something that isn't working out and he's like ah oh, i guess i'm still doing this though i can't just back down now <laughs> yeah. i really didn't think that comment with like the the baldies was going to go anywhere i just laughed a lot when it did <laughs> so good uh we we also get uh, another break in the case, though, with Officer Kwan un uncovering the song Sad Letter, which is requested every time there was a murder, uh, all three of the murders so far. Or four? I think it's four now. Well, this will be the fourth one because this is the one that we saw. The third right. one was the one they found after. Right. So all four of them, this song was playing presumably when the murder took place. Yeah. Which is a, a pretty big thing and you know, obviously much more useful of a clue than the hairless thing, but uh, Park is, is sticking with his uh, hairless guy thing. Because uh, that happens in between. She comes up with the thing about the song after he thinks about the hairless concept, and then it's after all of the stuff about the song that we see him at the bathhouse. <laughs> yeah, he, he just dismisses her idea completely. Yeah, it's like, that's ridiculous. That's so far-fetched. I'm going to go gonna hang go out to a... at the bathhouse. <laughs> I'm going to go check out dude's cocks. Uh, he also consults a psychic. He consults a psychic. I forgot about that. And he goes to the, the crime scene with this talent with this talisman or this um scroll or whatever that she gives mm. him with his partner of course yeah with joe and then and then he hears somebody approaching and it's uh and so they go and hide and this detective so who's also investigating the crime scene doing his own thing and park is holding this scroll that he got from the fortune teller being like that that so is his methods are so stupid <laughs> and then somebody else shows up. Yes, yes, they do. And then everybody's got to go hide. And uh, you got this scene where all you can really see is just these. It's really dark, but you can see just like these little heads and this guy in a flashlight. You can't see much, but you can tell where everybody is. It's so well shot. It's it's so great. Each of them is just hiding in the bushes, trying to figure out what this one weird guy is doing. Uh, and we find out that he's brought some underwear to masturbate to in the forest. Where the woman died. So, yeah. Right. That's... Noticeably. <laughs> yes. Like, like, he lays it out over where her body was and then... Right. So, very quickly, all, all three detectives give chase, uh, but he runs to the factory and they lose him pretty quickly in the, in the crowd. Although Park is able, like, this is good detective work on his part. He is able to spot him because of the underwear. Yeah, yeah, because this guy had pink uh, panties on. Yep. And, uh, and then he, like, I guess was kneeling over to do his work and saw, yeah, he saw, so Park saw the underwear and then lines them up. And then Joe does the Joe kick. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and they... Uh 
they they sweat him into confessing as well, but again, it's pretty obvious that he's been fed the details by them, that he is not like it, it, it's very like we see him confessing, we don't see them sweating him so much, but we do clearly understand from the way it's being told that this is recited, that it's coming uh-huh. from them, not from him. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, he thinks he's recounting a dream that he had, or, right. or he's he's saying it that way. And notably, he includes a mention about this school outhouse story which they've also heard about from some teenagers in the locale oh yes the outhouse monster or something like that like a crying woman in the in the school outhouse oh shoot the sorry i forgot about the crying woman um okay continue (laughs) (laughs) well like it was a few things because there there was a bunch of different stories surrounding the school outhouse uh it's him who introduces the idea of a crying woman uh who was haunting the the outhouse or who he heard from the outhouse but like they had already spoken to some school kids i think maybe this was right in the very first scene uh when park is talking to some of the school kids at the crime scene maybe because this comes up a couple times and then it's him that brings up the crying woman and they're like huh maybe we should actually go look into this outhouse thing that for some reason keeps coming up Mm -hmm. so they do and it's awkward well oh no the school is doing like a a drill at this time yes uh some sort of uh war drill uh I, i think like a drill based on potential attack from north korea yeah, it, it kind of actually reminded me a bit of got me thinking to Ladybug, Ladybug, which which we watched yeah. a few weeks ago, and how yeah. like because the kids weren't weren't really taking it seriously here. They were like, "You got to pretend you're dead." <laughs> yeah, it, it did look like they were having fun more than they were yeah becoming prepared for any sort of real drill. Uh, but they hide out in the outhouses and are embarrassed briefly, but they do find someone. Uh, they, they find this woman who had been living nearby, uh, who was assaulted by the killer, uh, but mm-hmm. not killed. Uh, she didn't see his face and he got away. Like she's someone who he had attacked while he was working up toward killing. Oh, so, so this is, Okay, so this would be like one of his early, early victims before. Yeah. Oh, I and, and this okay. Is, I was wondering why he hadn't killed her. So it it comes from her that they learn that he had very soft hands. Yes, and that's uh, how to. Which is very key. Like comes it is up key. A lot. Oh, it's important. Yes, it's, it's and they the most concrete piece of evidence that they've got. And it's how they know that their uh, red pantyhose guy is not the killer. Right, because he has very weathered hands. Yeah, for working at this factory. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, obviously, very quickly, they, uh, over this, uh, Park and So get in a fight. Uh, because of the suspect and the undies, and uh, they, they get into, like, a fist fight in the office, but then Sad Letter, uh, the song that's been requested, comes on the radio and it starts raining. Yeah, the murderer song. 
Yeah, the really great scene. Uh, very like sudden mood shift, uh, and obviously the next day another body turns up, uh, and it's the he's escalated or he's he's changed up his uh, killing pattern a little bit, and they find a peach cut up inside her. Uh, yes, it's very gross. Very gross. Uh, and Park is like, okay to hell with all of this and he he tears up all of his notes he's finally he's like okay i i realize that my methods have not been working and he gives up all of them yeah and it's also at this point where he realized he's dealing with something he's never seen before in his life like yeah and he asks he asks so so he's like i don't you, know do you get this often in soul and he's like no never <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's the first time the there first had one. ever been a serial killer case, and like, yeah, that's that is tough to deal with. Like, some yep. sympathy for sure. Uh, uh -huh. It could have been handled a lot better, certainly. Oh, that, yeah, <laughs> but it is a tough kind of case to handle. Oh, definitely. There's the well, there's a lot of reasons why serial killer cases are harder than regular cases. The main one being most murders that aren't serial killers. Some has some. The murderer has some connection to the victim, but with serial killers, it's usually just random. Right. Uh, it, or, they, they just fit some kind of template. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not really about the person themselves. It's about sort of a role they might fulfill. Um, but they do manage to find the person who was requesting sad letter, uh, and he checks a lot of boxes. He moved into the area right before the murders began. He does have soft hands. He works at the factory in the office. Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously, very quickly, we do get uh, Joe doing the jump kick. <laughs> yeah, the Joe kick. <laughs> the, the necessary uh, Songju kick. Great. Yep. Yeah, but at this point, all the other detectives are like, okay, that's enough of this shit. We need to actually solve the case. We're done with your shit. Yeah, he's like, he is uh, pretty much over at this point. And right at the same time, there's a really high profile police brutality trial uh, clearly going on. Like, we see it happening on TV. Uh, and they're hanging out at Quang Ho's place, uh, Quang Ho, the first suspect. The, the, this, the disabled fellow. Yeah, the yeah. the restaurant of his family, and yeah, they're the all restaurant. hanging out there. Uh, and it's when it's both when they realize that he was probably a witness uh, that there's this police brutality trial happening on the TV, and Joe snaps. He just loses his mind about it. Oh, he starts he starts a bar brawl. Yeah, but it's just... not a bar; it's a restaurant. Yeah, it's just a restaurant. Uh, and Quang Ho hits him with a board with a nail in his foot and then takes off. Uh, so they have to chase him down. Yeah. And, and he climbs up this telephone pole. He's like, no, no. And the cops are like, no, no. We're, we'll, we'll forgive what you did. It's a fight. These things happen. But you saw the murder, right? Yeah, I saw the murder. <laughs> um. And then, oh, I can't remember how, but somehow he gets back on the ground but starts running away from them again. Yeah, he keeps just running away from them. Uh, they, they Can you get blame him. him? No, not at all. Not at I all. Mean, not at all. He was full-on attacked by Sungju. <laughs> he was literally tortured by these guys. A few times. A few uh, times. So they, they do get him to confirm these things, but he 
freaks out because he starts thinking about the injury that happened to him when he was youth. Like the, cause he's, he's got all of these burn scars on his face. He was thrown into a fire as a child. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's sort of this thing that he constantly returns to, uh, when he's faced with some sort of difficulty. So, you know, while he's being sort of pressed by them to, uh, give information about witnessing this, he kind of resorts to that. And then he takes off again. And, he goes to these train tracks, but he, for some reason he stops there. Yeah, and they're trying to get him to identify the photo of the guy who they arrested at the factory. Uh, but uh, train's coming, uh, and he won't listen to them and won't move in. He gets obliterated by the train. Yep, yep, he, he's done. He That was... That was hard to watch, actually. It was brutal. It, it was quite they, unexpected. They showed the impact. Like, they oh, yeah, showed they, the impact. They showed I didn't it. think they would. I thought they would cut away. They didn't cut away. It was, it's, it, was a, a, it, was a, it was a very shocking moment. Yeah. Um, and obviously, they're, so that's another dead end for them. And I don't know uh, how much of that. Like, I think that character might be made up for the movie. I briefly looked at the uh, letter notes, like the, the jacket notes in yeah, yeah. the DVD, right. and they mentioned that he's kind of loosely based on a suspect that they detained who was, um, I think, couldn't walk because of polio. Okay. Is what they say. Because I listened to one of the commentary tracks on there, uh, it, the, the most recent one, because two of them are by Bong Joon-ho and from right when the movie originally came out on DVD. Uh, and one of them was just recorded last year, or I think maybe, maybe even this year, uh, and is, you know, talking about the case in retrospective. So I kind of wanted to get an idea of, uh, I, I, I kind of want to just understand the case in terms of how it had been resolved. Uh, and that guy talks about a lot of the things that are true and a lot of things that were made up and he doesn't really bring up that guy much okay. doesn't have a lot about him so presumably like i think that guy's mostly uh that that part of the investigation is kind of maybe exaggerated because um, it feels like, like a it, it feels like a very bong joon ho moment from other films of his i've seen just that guy getting hit by a train out of nowhere is uh yeah. it, it fits his humor for for uh, sure, uh, yeah, uh, that's it's so dark. It's it's incredibly dark humor. Uh, they do find some semen in uh, one of the crime scenes. Like they they go back and test, and they find semen, but they don't have facilities to test it in Korea, which was true at the time. Uh, although <laughs> it did not need to be sent to America, I think China tested it for them. Uh, oh, okay. It, it was. I, I think this is a symbolic decision to have it had to be sent to America. Uh, but also at the same time, uh, we learned that uh, Joe has gotten tetanus and he loses his leg. His, his, his stomping his, leg. His stomping leg. His his suspect kicking leg. How are they going to solve crimes now? Uh, there's a really great moment, like shortly after. Like he learns that he he has to have the leg cut off, and they have a few scenes, and then they're back at 
uh, the police department and there's like this sad shot of the kicking boot. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, the kicking boot with the sock right next to it. Just sadly under the table. It was like, oh, the kicking boot never will it be on his feet again because the foot's gone. Uh, there, go, there goes his only investigative ability. Yep. Actually, uh, yeah, I don't think he did anything else to contribute. No, he didn't. Joe he never sucks. did anything else. Joe's uh, <laughs> a terrible. Joe is a normal cop, but Joe is a terrible cop. He's a pretty bad cop. So they, I think they end up fighting some more. Uh, but this is when uh, Sue is just trying to tail this one suspect all the time because they don't really have anything concrete on the guy. Yeah, they're they're waiting for the evidence from America, so they have to let this guy, whose also name is Park, uh, go. Right. But they're watching uh, him. They're watching him, but he falls asleep for a moment and loses the guy. Uh, and then we do see another attack. Yeah, and it's interesting because they frame it, and they kind of teased it before. Like, we didn't talk about it, but the Par- Inspector Park's wife or, or girlfriend, I'm not sure... Right. Um, at one is point, a was gonna... oh shit! I didn't know that. Oh yeah, yeah. I thought I thought she was a doctor or a nurse. I believe she's a prostitute, like a geisha, something oh, like that. Mm-hmm. Well, anyways, like earlier in the film, um, during or before one of the murder scenes, we see her about to go out. She's wearing this red coat. She looks in the mirror and just takes it off. And then in this part. She's walking down the road with her umbrella in the rain, and we see the murderer looking at him, at her. Yes, uh, from the bushes in, like, this little forest glade. Yeah. Uh, and then we see someone else coming as well. Yeah, uh, another... Someone else we've seen before, too. Yes, uh, one of the little girls from the high school. Uh, the one who had told Sue about the uh, outhouse thing. Yes, and Sue put a Band-Aid on her because in the nurse's office because she injured herself during the drill. Right. This, yeah. and Which is important because it's how they identify detail. her uh, the following day. Um, so this is who the killer ends up going after. So uh, Park's girlfriend or uh, fiance or whatever is spared and the uh, young 14-year-old girl is attacked. Uh, and this was, in actuality, the last known like last major victim of this this series of murders uh there were this this person has committed or has confessed to four other murders between this one and the one that he ended up going to jail for but none of them have been released to the public which is wow interesting this is the only one that's not this is the last known crime Oh, wow. All right. All right. One thing I want to... Oh, okay, good. The cord didn't come out. One thing <laughs> I want to mention <laughs> yep. that, that kind of stayed with me was the way he was carrying her when she was hogtied. I, like, I guess that's how you carry somebody when you hogtie them, but I've just never seen it before. And it's like, this is really... This is so dehumanizing to watch. It's, it's, someone it is doing distressing this to, to see, yeah. Uh, like, it, it's a very brutal scene. Like it's much nastier than uh, any of the scenes we've seen before. Like it's the one that we like actually see, like a killing scene, and it's it's very disturbing. Yeah, yeah. Um, like we see him wrapping the 
uh, I guess the bra around her um, mm. and pulling out implements. Right. I guess that's something we also didn't mention is that uh, one of the MOs of the killer is that he always ties them up with uh, some element of their underwear. Which a lot of serial killers do, actually. A lot of serial killers seem to do that. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's uh, some kind of fetish thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, don't, I don't know what the link is. I think, I think I had known at some point, but... Some sort of paraphilia. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, so Sue goes after the suspect right after they find that it was this girl. Right. Or, yeah, he goes after Suspect Park. Yeah, Suspect Park, uh, and he he finally crosses over, like, he's lost his thread in the case, and now he has sort of resorted to the other guy's methods, and he just physically attacks uh, the guy. Uh, bad Park, or <laughs> worse <laughs> <Bad> Park. park. <laughs> Maybe Bad Park. Maybe Bad Park. We never Maybe. know. Maybe not, yeah. The... And yeah, it's yeah, during this it. battle. Right, during this battle, the, the DNA results do arrive. Yeah, yeah. D- Inspector Park runs up. He's like, we got the papers from America. We got the papers from America. He gives them to Sue. Um, Sue looks at them. They're in English. So, mm-hmm. like, so I, I could, so obviously, like, us English speakers saw what it said before the Korean audience would have seen what it said. But I see, but I just see it as like, yeah, it's, we can't conclusively determine that it's for him. Or that it's yeah. him and not not and enough he, material there to oh, really give a clear. That was my cord. Okay. Uh, yeah, there? cord. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cord fell out. It's right. in now. Are we good? All right. Yep. Still here. Okay. You. Cool. All right. Awesome. So, uh, what were we? Shit. Uh, so the DNA results are inconclusive. Yes, they're inconclusive. Sue just looks devastated he's like there must be some mistake there must be some mistake and park's like let me see but park can't read it because it's in english right uh and a train's coming and they've been just like fighting in this train tunnel Uh, yeah and and the suspect just takes off yeah like and sue is going to shoot him and park like he's gonna do it and park stops he's going to like yeah he this isn't just like an idle threat he's he was going to murder this man yeah, uh, and, and, and Park, Park is like using all his strength to basically move the gun away, so he Park doesn't. Very much, very much to his credit, has kind of like learned through all of this that uh, none of those methods work. Mm-hmm. I, I do feel that he is very interesting as a main character, even though he's not the one who moves the plot forward. He is the one who grows uh, most. Like he does realize that the way he was doing it was wrong. It's just, he's not able to do it better. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing, cause the last thing he does is he looks at suspect park's face. He's like, tell me if you did it. And then he's just like, fuck, I don't know. I don't know. know. (laughs) It was great. Uh, and he quits being a cop, obviously. Like, uh, we don't know how soon after this, he quits being a cop, but we cut to, Years later, in 2003, when the movie came out, uh, uh, we, we see Park in 2003 just driving around selling juicers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And he, he goes to visit the crime scene one more time. Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, he goes to look at the ditch where the, the first one was found or 
from the beginning of the movie, and he sees this little girl there. And it's like, what are you doing, mister? And um, he's like, oh, what does he say? Uh, he and, says oh, something about how he was uh, looking for something, something important happened here. He remembered something here. Yeah, and then the little girl is like, oh, weird. A little while ago, somebody else said basically the same thing. And Park's like, what did he look like? Ordinary? Yeah. And that's kind of all he's got. And, you know, it's it's an interesting moment because it could be the guy. It could have been... Or it could have been one of the other people who investigated it. Yeah, it could have been, it could have been just Sue decided... Could have been anyone. ...happened to be in town and was, like, looking at this thing. Actually, we don't know what happened to Sue after all this, do we? No clue. He's... Yeah, we only find out, we only catch up with uh, Detective Park. Yep. It's very interesting. It's a very inconclusive ending because obviously the case itself was not concluded, but it being inconclusive does feel really important to how the movie is set up and just how the movie, I guess what the what points the movie is trying to make about police work and about crime and just uh, about authoritarianism like a lot of like i it seems like all of bong jun bong jun ho's movies are very much about korea oh yes in a very significant way so i don't feel i have quite enough cultural background to approach all of them sometimes because there's a lot here that clearly is about korean culture that i'm not totally familiar with but uh all of the police stuff is still familiar to oh very movies. familiar like this, um, like this reminded me. There's been other cases, um, serial killer cases, where like they bring in this this expert on serial killers, and the police teams just shut that guy out. Like, no, you, we don't need no big city, whatever, trying to solve our case. We got this under control. Yeah, I mean that happens. It, it happens all the time, and yeah. then the case never gets solved. And it's so weird. This the it's it's a very uh, territorial business for some reason. Yeah. Um, so yeah, th this movie's great. Uh, I I love this movie. I I think this movie is pretty much a masterpiece. Uh, this is one that uh, I'm glad I finally got around to seeing because I have seen uh, a bunch of Bong Joon Ho's other movies, but for some reason this one had just escaped me to this point. It's really good. I had to take a walk afterwards. I <laughs> we started recording late because I watched the movie and I was like I need to go take a walk, clear my head, but it's, yeah. it was too hot to walk. Oh yeah, no, it's it's been just absolutely goddamn beastly in here. Uh, we're we're suffering through a heat dome here in the Pacific Northwest this week. Uh, dome. To <laughs> today's not as bad uh yesterday it was like 95 degrees in my house and i was not not happy about it not or happy 40 about it at all. for canadians or for... non-americans yeah uh for whatever reason i just that's that's how my <laughs> thermometer is set up uh so uh, yeah i don't know any other thoughts about memories of murder uh any um yeah but we'll be here all day <laughs> uh, actually, no, I think we kind of hit on everything I wanted to talk about. Just that this felt, 
it, it's a it's the weird thing that I wouldn't believe that I wouldn't believe that it wasn't fiction were it not for the fact that I already know that police investigations really did go like this. Yeah. Uh, and and like, that is very interesting because it seems comedic. And, yeah. And, and if and you're you never not familiar see American with it, cop, sh- you never see American cop dramas do this. Or very rarely. Well, like, you do kind of see a bit of this in Zodiac. Zodiac has true. a little bit of that, though, not a lot. But that's also the cops based in that on are true pretty, story. Right. But I mean, a lot of the ones based on true stories, they're still cleaning up a lot of that stuff. Oh, they, yeah. You know that that stuff. You're you're not allowed to do that, or you're not going to get the you're you're not going to get the cooperation of the police force if that's how you're going to make your movie about the police. Yeah, but Bong Joon Ho doesn't have to worry about American politics when he's making his movies so no, much. Indeed, which is nice. It's it's nice to get another perspective besides Hollywood all the time. Very much. Uh, yeah, and th- so I obviously this movie is a very unreserved recommendation from both of us. Uh, oh yeah, fantastic movie, uh, easy five stars. I I love this movie, it's great stuff. Oh yeah, uh, th- this is. Uh, oh yeah, yeah and this, this we were, was great. And we we're watching the new Criterion Blu-ray of this, which uh, looks <laughs> great uh, and is absolutely just packed with special features. I could not get through them. Uh, I, I did not have time. We recorded late last week, and I uh, only got through of some of it, but there's just a huge wealth of stuff. I'm uh, looking forward to digging further into it. Oh, yeah, the the um, the leaflet or the book jacket, whatever thing, mm-hmm. has a lot of interesting information, some of it about the case, some of it about the making of the movie. I haven't read the whole thing yet, but... But uh, yeah, there's a lot there. I wanted to. I was looking in there because I wanted to see about the real case. But right, I don't think the case had been solved by the time the DVD came out. Uh, no, it was because uh, they talk a bit about it in the commentary track. Oh, okay, uh, this, okay. This Blu-ray just came out this year. Oh, this is a okay. pretty new release. Um, but yeah, like there, there is, uh, like I, I don't know when they started making it, but the, the yeah, the guy was caught in 2019, and so this just came out uh, a few months ago but uh yeah really highly recommended excellent package uh criterion's booklets are always great they always have really good essays on the films mm. yeah I'm, I'm definitely gonna have to start reading some of those because normally i just pop in the movie and watch it and go yeah so like most of the like I, I would say criterion is the only one who really do really great booklets sometimes arrow has them but it sort of depends on if you get the first printing of the disc because criterion is the only one you're guaranteed to actually get them whereas arrow it's the first printing and then once that sells out you probably won't get the booklet with it oh it's kind of a drag so but i yeah. usually them when they come out <laughs> well yeah <laughs> Uh, so that is replaced in the stacks with Death Has Blue Eyes, which is a oh. film by Nico Mastarakis uh, about a local gigolo in Athens and just these two guys going on a series of scams. Uh, and ultimately it, it gets into a series of assassination attempts and there's a lady with telepathy. Uh, it, it, Vaguely, it seems to just be a crazy movie, which is very uh, much my experience with Nico Mastarakis in the past. Hmm. 
so yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I guess we'll next move on to our next uh, overall film, which I believe is Six String Samurai. Yes, yes. I, I picked two. I picked up two from you last week, but I only hmm. got around to watch Six String Samurai. So far. Fair, so far, yes. Very uh, different tone from what we just talked about. Very different tone. It kind of almost opposite in uh, uh, atmosphere, because uh, with yes. Memories of Murder, you have a very cool, rainy aesthetic, and uh, Six String Samurai is the desert. It's the desert. It is bonkers. <laughs> uh, so would you like to begin all right all right one, so um in 1950 something or other uh, 57 the, i believe okay <laughs> the world was wiped out by a nuclear apocalypse as you know as what happens um well not wiped out obviously it it's an excuse to have a mad max world um, but in yeah, this so like Mad Max Russia world, has Ru- Russia bombed the U.S. in 1957 uh, for reasons like a just col- general Cold, Cold War. Shit. It went hot in this yeah. this alternate universe. Yes. So the last bastion of humanity is Lost Vegas, not Las, lost, lost, not found, <laughs> and it is ruled by the king, Elvis. who is none other than Elvis freaking Presley. <laughs> sadly is not appearing in this film no, uh, it was made in 1996 well I mean they weren't going to get Elvis for the uh, 1996 film but sadly he is not represented in the film either um, they could have got Kurt Russell uh, there, there's a few people they could have got but the king is dead king is dead we need a new king and, and who could fulfill the role of the king uh, enter Enter our hero, Buddy, the six-string samurai. Now, Buddy is a reference to the Weezer song where he looks like Buddy Holly because this guy looks like the guy from Weezer. So it's obviously a reference to that Weezer song. Yeah, I, uh, obviously. <laughs> this takes place in the 90s. So. No. Not going to correct me at all. <laughs> I mean, it clearly doesn't take place in the, four, in the 50s. Uh, it is set in the 90s. We've got... Uh, rockabilly revival bands playing. Oh, you know what? This, he could actually be. He's obviously meant to be a reference <laughs> to real Buddy Holly. I was. Yes, yes. <laughs> but yeah, he's the six string samurai. And we see him in a field killing some mutants who are after a kid. Yeah, and... this, this mute kid <clears throat> who, uh, until the very end of the movie, has no lines other than. Uh which oh, I was okay. not a fan of. <laughs> I didn't mind it at first because like when you first said that you hated it, I had only heard it the one time. Right. It's the only thing this kid says until like 10 minutes till the end. Yeah. Every and he scene, does it a lot. Usually and, a few times each scene. Yeah. Ah! Yep. <laughs> it got to be like, I hated the kid by the end of the movie because of just hearing that noise. I hated that noise so much. I liked everything else about the kid character. How he was totally. just super competent for no reason. Um, could fix anything. Just whatever the plot needed, he had the ability to do it. But, yep. Yeah. But he just but made Buddy, that awful noise. Buddy, of course, doesn't want to have anything to do with this annoying kid either. He's got no. a gig in Vegas, and he doesn't need this kid cramping his style. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a rockabilly samurai. He's got places to be. He's being tracked down by death. 
Oh yeah, Death follows him everywhere. And Death who, that's <laughs> literal. Death who is dressed by dressed like Slash uh, and has yep. a heavy metal band basically who are uh, chasing them down. Yep, uh, Death wants to become the king too. No, he doesn't want to become the king. He wants to destroy rock and roll and replace it with heavy metal, and he has to get to Vegas to do that. I guess. Well, I guess or, because that's that's where that's where the that's where the people are. It's it's the kingdom of rockabilly, I guess. I guess we we never um, get to see Vegas ultimately, so it's hard to say what's there. Yeah, that we hear hints like somebody actually tells them like nobody rocks and rolls in Las Vegas, but we don't <laughs> know if that's true or not. Uh, so after the uh, so after the first thing with the kid, um. They, Buddy just kind of takes the kid along with him because he's able to fix cars or stuff. But he tries to dump the kid every chance he gets. Just um, everywhere. He, he's everywhere trying he to lose him with everybody. And who does he encounter first? Is it the cannibals or is it the pin pals? I believe it is the pin pals first. <laughs> okay. Okay, so the pin pals are a post-apocalyptic bowling-themed ninja gang. I love it with <laughs> with freaking like daggers hidden inside their bowling pins. And I'm so here for it. You know, <laughs> uh, it's so good. It's and... I like it's it's that kind of just very silly post-apocalyptic gang. Uh, like, I, I feel like that should be in every post-apocalypse movie. That sort of thing. Very oh, themed gangs, absolutely. Gang theming. That's so cool. I love it. Yeah, so the pin pals um, at this gas station, actually a whole bunch of people end up at this gas station, uh, but mm -hmm. he fights the pin pals, um, somehow knocks all of their weapons out of their hands, which causes the daggers to strategically fall in all these different places. One of them, of course, piercing a gasoline uh, gas line. Yes. Um, and the thing blows up and you have all these, but at this point... We think we're being introduced to the rogues gallery that he's going to face as the movie goes on. But no, every single one of these guys just dies in the gas fire. Of course. Except for I death. Mean, well, you, and the you tag can't, kid. Yeah, you, you can't waste a good explosion. Yeah, yeah. Especially in a movie like this. <laughs> Everybody's going to get burnt up. All, all of the current underlings need to get burnt up. So you can introduce a new gang of baddies. Oh, which they do a lot. Um, so many. After this, there's, I think, the cannibals, which are this... Uh, this weird nuclear family. Of, Yeah, the guy, one guy talks like a car salesman. They, they look like a perfect 50s nuclear family, but they're, you know, they're, they're living in, it seems like almost one of those nuclear model homes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've got, but they're, there's... Clearly something very wrong with them as Clearly. they keep trying to eat them. And Buddy thinks that this is a great place to leave the annoying kid. Well, I mean, it, it takes care of him. <laughs> yeah. <yep. laughs> Solves and the problem. He, and he, I, I, I think it's to the movie's credit that he just absolutely does leave him there and he moves on. Uh, it's just the kid escapes and catches up with him again. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't going to go back for this kid. No, until... he does not go back for the kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the, uh, but the family abandons the kid because the windmill people, a gang of spacemen, are coming and they're apparently really scary. Um, they're 
they're not any scarier than anybody else because Buddy kicks the shit out of them when they every time they fight. But you know, right? Um, and they worship the windmill god. I don't know what the windmill god is. We see it briefly. It has a few lines. I don't get it. I love that there's no explanation for it. Yeah, it's just this thing that lives in a junkyard, I guess. Maybe it's yep. an alien. Maybe. It's very Maybe. well very well mannered and very well spoken. Yeah. Yeah, seems like a nice guy, but he demands sacrifices and um I think I'm probably skipping over a bunch of stuff here, but it's it's basically the whole movie is just it's it's episodic. Uh, There's a lot of just battles between yeah. these little gangs and these groups that he runs into. The big, great big battle is obviously when he takes on the Red Army, yep, which is the... just an incredible set piece. Oh, it's unbelievable. I like this was the one that I was <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So the uh, the Red Army is like has this uh check stop between wherever they are in Las Vegas and he's got to pass through them. Uh, but yeah, I guess maybe it's like the Nevada border or something. Could Who be. knows? Could be, but he's like, but the, it's the red, uh, the Russian general who's like, nobody rocks and rolls in Las Vegas. Right. And that they all go to kill, they all go to kill buddy and they can't do it. It's this huge, gigantic battle of hundreds of Russians just against this one guy. And with there's a sword these, with a just sword, one dude with the sword and just, hordes of Russian uh, military just like pouring down a hill after him. <laughs> yeah, trying to uh, beat him over the head with their rifles. And it's like, and I'm like, I love how they're not shooting him. And then that gets addressed because one of the guys like, why don't they just shoot him? We haven't had bullets since 1953. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, Pretty funny. Yeah, uh, but he doesn't win. Oh, no, no, he does. He he wins against the Russians. He wins um, against the Russians, but he cannot beat death. He can't beat death, uh, but the kid can. The kid, the kid apparently can. The kid can because death is weak against water. It's the, the classic Wicked Witch thing. Well, yeah, there, there's a lot of Wizard of Oz references throughout this movie. For some reason, that's also weirdly entwined with the structure of this movie. Well, I never caught that. There's a few of them throughout there. Uh, I can't remember. Offhand I guess they are finding the yellow brick. They are following right. the, yellow, the yellow brick road. road. Yep. There's a few um, things, but yeah, it's it's just little Wizard of Oz references thrown in. Yep. Um, so then he goes and fights death. Yeah, he death kills him after this like epic rock battle like guitar battle that turns into a sword battle and then the kid spl splashes some water well first the kid spits on death and then right, death starts sizzles. smoking and yeah. then he uh splashes some water on him from the canteen that he stole way back in like the second scene of the movie mm -hmm. and then death just dies and the yeah. minions are like you killed death nobody <laughs> does that <laughs> Would you like to join our band? And they, they give him a card. It's a weird ending. Yeah. It's a very weird ending. He walked, the kid walks down the road to Las Vegas, which actually looks, now that you mentioned the Wizard of Oz things, it looks, it looks like, like the Emerald, Emerald City. City. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's it. Cut to credits. Uh, Cut to credits. That was, it doesn't sound like a lot happens in the movie, and maybe it doesn't, but it's a fun ride. It's a really fun ride. Not much 
like it's it's not very story arc based it's just a bunch of fun indie movie battles it's it's very 90s indie film yes yes uh the music is great yeah a lot of fun rockabilly revival uh it's mostly by the red elvises who do appear in the movie as the russian band at, uh, I think yes. at the gas station it's at it's the gas station yeah 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 because they're they're waiting until buddy they're not going to kill buddy right away they're waiting until he gets drunk Right. Because Buddy's, we didn't really touch on it because, yeah, again, the story in this movie is not important, but Buddy's a has been, he's drunk, blah, blah, blah. Right. Or th- that's what they all think, but that's obviously what they think. He's, he's still able to take all of them out at any time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a really, really fun time. Uh, it's, it's quite silly. Uh, you, you have to go in expecting a certain amount of like 90s indie movie silliness. Like if you're kind of familiar with this, like the the El Mariachi uh, scene, like the stuff that came out of uh, El Mariachi, Reservoir Dogs, and Clerks, like the whole '90s underground uh, American indie scene, it's very much one of those movies, but one that's really heavily influenced by uh, samurai pictures. Yeah, because they have like the opening is even like. It's a samurai battle, basically, in the, mm. in the big field. It's got the in the tall grass, Luffy things, flags, even. or like uh, big uh, swaths of fabric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's filmed. It's or parts of it are filmed like a classic samurai film. Yeah, it's it's a very nicely shot film. It looks really good. I'm surprised the director really hasn't done much else. Like he's only done, I think, two other movies, and they're both like really obscure. Like one of them's one of the Crow sequels. Oh, which I've I, never I seen any seen. Crow movies. Uh, the first one's decent. I wouldn't the, recommend any of the other ones. <laughs> the first one's the Brandon Lee one, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, and, then, and I have not seen that in a really long time, but I remember it being pretty good. Amazing soundtrack. Okay. Oh, like, oh yeah. No, incredible yes. soundtrack. The, not okay, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remembered that. Yeah. Actually, a lot of the movies in that kind of era came out with really good soundtracks that were a lot of the time better than the movie. The big soundtrack era, totally. Like um, the Spawn soundtrack definitely oh, comes Spawn to mind. Spawn soundtrack's amazing. I, like I recently rewatched Spawn, and that movie gets more hate than it deserves, but it's not very good. And the soundtrack is awesome. Uh, although I kind of want to look at the, uh, I kind of want to look at the uh, artist list and see which ones of them are canceled now. At least a handful. There, at, there's at certainly least a, a few. Um, is Corn <clears throat> canceled, or do they just suck? Uh, I don't know. They suck. They definitely I mean, <laughs> suck. <laughs> oh, I hope teenage. I hope this podcast never goes back in time and finds teenage me because I got <laughs> mad when people didn't like corn. Uh, I, 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 it's part of my yearbook quote. Oh no, yeah. uh, I liked corn when I was in junior high, but I was over it pretty fast. Like I was over it before grad for sure. I was, um, I got over it when I became an adult. That's fair. <laughs> Which uh, I'll let you know. Hopefully, a lot I of people do. <laughs> well, uh, I wouldn't say I've become one yet, but we're getting there. Oh yeah, something I meant to mention since we're kind of 
in the weeds anyways, uh, I forgot to mention or, or update regarding last week, we were talking about Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets, how it's uh, fiction rather than documentary. It is listed as a documentary and it has won oh. awards as a documentary. However, it's described as being staged but unscripted. Uh, and I, I read an article about how all of the people in it, there's one professional actor, and that's that Michael guy, the main guy. Oh, the, the, the main old guy? Yeah, he's a professional actor, and he actually just died in April. Oh. Uh, which, which I just found out just before we were recording. Uh, everyone else were non-professionals, but uh, there were casting calls where they just went to a bunch of local bars and they cast local color and got them all together for this. So I think it is mostly non-fictional, but it is improvisational. Well, when you told me that it was when you told me that it was fiction in the last episode, my opinion of it actually went up quite a bit because part of why it upset me or part of why I didn't necessarily like it so much, I was like, I don't feel right so seeing authentic. these intimate these intimate details of these strangers' lives. Like right. did these people consent to this? They must have, but it, I get it that. bothered me. No, I totally get that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then when you told me that it was acted or staged then my i my opinion of the film actually just went way up because i did not it did not look staged no it feels extremely it feels authentic. so real yeah. <laughs> um yeah so i, I kind of changed my i don't think i would watch it again but it changed my my view on it okay interesting uh all right so i guess we'll go into the other stuff that i watched last week all right uh, all right so i watched uh, first, uh, Metamorphosis and Beyond Darkness, which is a two-pack from the Scream Factory. I ended up watching both of them. Metamorphosis is the one I talked about uh, last week or the week before. It's a film by George Eastman about a researcher who's researching anti-aging serum. Okay. And he ends up injecting it into himself to test it because his research gets shut down and he's you know on a limited time so he uh injects it directly into his own brain through his eyeball which uh is very dedicated uh and obviously it it, it doesn't go great uh and he starts <laughs> you know killing people and going insane and so forth you know that, that's kind of how these things tend to go uh he turns into a dinosaur okay eventually okay uh, like spoilers, the final scene, he's just a rubber dinosaur and it's absolutely hilarious, but it takes like, a while getting there. <laughs> like Velocipaster style? It's Velocipaster knew it was silly. Oh, this. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> he didn't know it was quite as silly as it is. Oh, no. Uh, and it is the, the other film Beyond Darkness is a Claudio Fregasso joint. Uh, that's uh, the guy who did Troll 2. <laughs> Oh, yes. Uh, um, Troll 2, the classic terrible horror film that's hilarious. I absolutely love Troll 2, and I have seen, I think, almost all of Fragasso's work now, other than, like, the, this was, like, the second to last one. I think there's one left that I haven't seen called Scalps uh, from his horror oeuvre, but this one was a lot of fun. Um, it stars the kid from Troll 2, the same okay. main kid. Uh, Joshua. Uh, now, was that and, the they're eating me kid? 
No, he's oh. he's the main kid like of the family. Okay. Like the the one who uh, pees on the food. It's been a while for me. I just heard okay. that. I remember the oh my god. Right. Uh, that yeah, that's a different kid. This is the younger kid who's like the main the main character at the very beginning. Uh, it's his family who go to Nilbog. Okay. Uh, anyway, that kid he's he's the son of a priest, I believe, and this priest has moved into this new house and this house is just like uh super super haunted witches were burned there and now there's all sorts of stuff going on uh it was really fun it's completely stupid it's uh total nonsense but it's a pretty great time very much in the way that uh any fragasso movie is all right and that's beyond darkness beyond darkness uh, and oddly enough, uh, there's a new edition of that coming out pretty soon that I happen to order this weekend as well. So I'll have a special edition of that coming pretty soon. Anyway, if you want to hold off, uh, we'll be coming to the stacks again. <laughs> all right. Maybe, I'll, uh, maybe I will wait on that one. All right. I watched The Good, The Bad, and The Beautiful, uh, which was the second film uh, in the, the set with Love After Death from Agfa. Okay. Uh, uh, that that's the one the 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 guy who gets buried alive by his wife and comes back as a sex zombie. Oh, the uh, so sex zombie. The the second picture is the good, the bad, and the beautiful, which is uh, there's this guy who's running for president, and there's just it it's one of these seamy underbellies of the free love scene movies, except. It's surrounding someone running for president instead of someone who's just a hippie, which was pretty cool. Ah. Uh, I, I dug that. Uh, it was very interesting. That's the one where uh, we were talking about how the, the guy gets there's a scissors murder. There was a really fun. The, the scissors murder is awesome. Uh, this <laughs> guy gets stabbed with scissors and then he falls backwards on the ground and then the scissors go through him and burst out through his chest. It was awesome. <laughs> That sounds worth, amazing. The, the whole movie was worth it for the scissors death. Uh, and also this is an Agfa disc. So there's just really fun extras on it. I'm a really big fan of this company. Uh, they, there's a short film about a guy who becomes a dendrophiliac. Uh, he becomes attracted to plants. Uh, okay. There's, and there's a, a bunch of trailers for like local horror house stage shows as well. And two, uh, like industrial shorts about preparing for death, like just corny old 50s shorts about uh, funeral planning. Great stuff. Okay. Uh, love their discs. Right on. Uh, also watched Uncle Tom's Cabin from 1975. Uh, the Al Adamson edit of, I, I think it's a 60s German version of Uncle Tom's Cabin. So are you familiar with Uncle Tom's Cabin, more or less? Like, it's it's very famous I've, work of literature. I've heard of it, but no, I'm not familiar. So this is... The, the version that was made in the 60s was, I guess, a fairly straightforward version of it. Uh, and it stars... Uh, I don't remember the name of the actor. He plays Quarrel in Dr. No. Okay. Uh, have you... Like, I'm sure I've watched Dr. No with you, right? Oh, you, yeah. You that had, like one of the new years um we must have we definitely have at some so point probably Quarrel, more than once 
Quarrel is the guy that Bond meets with in Jamaica and helps him row out to Crab Key. Uh, oh, and is, a, yes. is afraid of the dragon and stuff. So he is Uncle Tom in this movie. Okay. Uh, and this version is heavily edited down. Uh, I think the original version is like three hours and this one's like 90 minutes. And it's also got a bunch of added violent grindhouse scenes to make it crazier. So they added a bunch of violence and then they added a really great final scene uh, that's pretty satisfying. But most of it is a little too... Like, there, there's not enough exploitation uh, not enough of Al Adamson's exploitation to make it fun. It's just kind of a weird mix. Oh, okay. Uh, but on the disc, there's a TV spot for Uncle Tom's Cabin that would have run on TV in 1975 that is just unbelievable. It's just someone being whipped. There's nothing else. There's just the words Uncle Tom's Cabin. There is a lady being whipped. And that was the whole TV spot. I couldn't believe the damn thing. What? <laughs> I, it was absolutely mind-blowing. Like, I just was like, oh, hey, TV spots. And I, I was, like, smoking a bowl before I watched this stupid Al Adamson movie. And I went, excuse me. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe I'm seeing this. It was great. <laughs> wow. All right. Uh, I watched Star Trek Two: Wrath of Khan. Khan! Khan! Uh, uh, great. Totally great. I still like motion picture the best, but I think uh, Star Trek Two: Wrath of Khan is the most conventionally good Star Trek movie. It's the one that feels like just a good, well-made film instead of just a Star Trek film. Now, that's, that's one I haven't seen. I saw the... Um... Into darkness, the right? Yeah, yeah, the 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 Cumberbatch one. Nowhere near as good. <laughs> I wouldn't think so. Uh, um, very fan servicey kind of remix of it. Nowhere near as good. Uh, not as good looking. Not as well acted. Uh, just kind of a drag because I really like the other two of the Kelvin era Trek movies. Yeah, the other ones were all right. This one didn't do it for me. I, I think part of it was getting a white guy to play someone named Khan Nudian Singh. Yeah, that's definitely a problem. Uh, yeah, not a choice I would have made. Well, and especially because Ricardo Montalban is fantastic as Khan. He is so good. He's so committed to the role. And, and he's having so much fun in this movie, too. Uh, and this is also basically the movie that gives us the modern Klingons. Uh, we, we get the sort of redesign of the Klingons that uh, feeds into uh, next gen, uh, and and we get sort of the modern status quo with the Klingons that we're going to have in next gen too, which is cool. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Uh, I also watched Autopsy, which is the first of Vinegar Syndrome's uh, third volume of the Forgotten Jolly collection. Okay, uh, and uh, this movie has one of the greatest opening sequences I've ever seen. It's just a series of people committing suicide with uh, graphics of apparently sunspots or solar flares. So just really well, uh, really good effects and just people killing themselves in really crazy outlandish ways. Like a guy puts his puts a head in his bag, puts his head in a bag and uh, jumps off a pier. Just a bunch of little things like that. And then we cut to a morgue and it's this it's a story about a morgue worker lady 
who is also writing a thesis on real versus simulated suicides. But she's having all these hallucinations with the sunspots and uh, just keeps seeing bodies getting up off the morgue tables. And I don't know, it's, it's a very crazy movie. It's very all over the place. Sounds like fun. Yeah, I, like, I think it's awesome, but like, I don't think you've ever seen a giallo for it. It's kind of a jumping in the deep end kind of giallo, but it's great. Like, okay. it's, it's a very obscure one, but it's one of the better ones that I've seen that are like ones that are not like canonical big ones. Right. Uh, and the last one I watched, well, sort of last one I watched, is Challenge the Devil, which is from that Christopher uh, Lee Eurocrypt box. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, that's the second film in that box set and is, man, it's, it's a very weird movie. This is another one about hippies. We, we got a bunch of beatniks uh, who go to spend a night in a haunted castle, which turns out to be owned by Christopher Lee. We don't get enough Christopher Lee in this movie is well, definitely one of the big problems. Uh, it's an Italian movie. He does actually do the Italian voice himself. Oh, uh, and it's just this gang of, it's, it's, it's like, uh, they're a teen violence gang. Basically, they've just come from, uh, a road rage incident where they left someone bleeding in the road and he offers them, I think $10,000 to exercise a, a ghost from the house or something. It becomes very unclear around this time what's going on. There's a lot of just long dance sequences. <laughs> uh, and, you know, eventually they, they figure it out and they deal with the haunting in some fashion. Uh, not great. It feels like there's maybe a good kernel of an idea, but it feels extremely 60s in it. Sort of all the bad sort of ways where it just... it, it uh, feels really uh, like, like it's trying to do a lot of that 60s stuff without really having any understanding of the culture. Ah, uh, yes, yes. I guess. And it just feels kind of silly. But it was interesting. It's certainly a mood. Uh, and there's some pretty funny parts. There's a very silly googly-eyed spider that the, is causing them trouble for a while. <laughs> googly-eyed spider. <laughs> All right. The effects are uh, not superb in that one. Mm. <laughs> uh, all right, so that's uh, those. Oh, yeah, and I also started watching, and I've watched, like, most of it, uh, but uh, stopped to do the record. I, I've been in the middle of a thing called uh, Altered Innocence Volume 1, which is a collection of short films and music videos from the, uh, from the label Altered Innocence, who focus on... Uh, LGBT and coming of age films. Oh, okay, uh, cool. So I've watched about half of that, uh, which I think it's about three hours altogether. Uh, most of them are about 20 minutes each. Uh, we've got a couple music videos that are pretty cool. I watched a short called Bunny about a kid who has autism and won't, uh, won't let anyone touch bunny ears that he wears. There's uh, a short about uh, like a, a lot of like shorts about young love. Uh, and uh, uh, growing up, things like that. It's it's really nice. I've been thoroughly enjoying it. Hmm. All right. Uh, so that that one, I guess I would say, is technically in the watched, but not fully yet. 
Okay. <laughs> so it could be Getting applicable there. to either. Currently. Right. It's, it's in between. Uh, so for those from the ones that I've watched, uh, anything particular that you're interested in? Well, I do still have to watch uh, Day of the Beast, Indeed. but I am interested. I, I have been meaning to watch Wrath of Khan forever. Alrighty. So we're definitely, definitely want to watch that one. All right. Cool. Um, you know, I think that might be it for now because I'm already yeah, falling cool. behind. <laughs> totally. Totally. All right. And so for the stuff that replaces those, uh, and leading up to, uh, deciding our, uh, main movie for next week. So metamorphosis slash beyond darkness are replaced with, uh, Lucia, which is, uh, a very important film in Cuban film history. Uh, this is from the 60s. It's just post the Cuban Revolution, and it's sort of a triptych film uh, set in three different important eras in Cuban history uh, with the same woman playing three different ladies named Lucia who are important to that moment in Cuban history. Okay, that sounds uh, interesting. Yeah, I've heard it's great. I have not watched it yet. That is from uh, Criterion's uh, World Cinema Project, Volume 3. So the first film in that box. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so uh, Altered Innocence is the one under Good, the Bad, and the Beautiful. And I kind of haven't finished that, so I'm kind of considering that one in both spots right now. So mm -hmm. Altered Innocence, already referenced. Yeah. Uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin is replaced by Black Samurai. Uh, that's uh, Al Adamson's take on the black exploitation genre as well as the samurai genre. And it's got Jim Kelly as a black samurai. All right. Should be cool. Uh, obviously. Could, sounds fun. Trek 2 is replaced with Trek 3, The Search for Spock, of course. Mm hmm. Uh, Autopsy is replaced by the second film in that box, which is Murder Mansion. Uh, and I don't know much about that picture. Let's see here. Uh, we got a dark and foggy night in the countryside. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's just one of these ones where people find a creepy house on the side of the road and they stay there and people get murdered. Well, okay. Uh, one of those sort of <laughs> movies, you know, those, those yep. are, those are a staple. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Challenge the Devil is replaced with Crypt of the Vampire, which is uh, a Christopher Lee vampire picture, uh, one based on Carmilla. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, and this is a heroic uh, vampire one, apparently. Oh, so he's a, he's a good guy in this. Yeah, it says Christopher Lee delivers a rare hero turn as nobleman Count Karnstein, whose foreboding castle teems with ancestral curses, unnatural desires, philosophical hunchbacks, and grisly acts of vengeance. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Right, so that, that's all the additions. Not a huge amount of ads, mostly uh, still watching from just a couple spots. A lot of new box sets. Mm hmm. So, what do you figure for our main picture for next week? I am looking at the list here, mm -hmm. and, and oh, there's a, there's so many. I I keep trying to have a decision made before we get to this point, and I keep not being able to. That's fine. Uh, let us do. do, do, do. 
Oh boy, I might regret this. So I see you've got ring here. Now, is that the original Japanese ring? Yes, it is. All right, let's do it. Into Ringu? All right, cool. And that is the Arrow box set of uh, the complete Ringu series. So uh, the following ones are its sequels and prequel, which I've never watched. Okay, cool. Interestingly enough. All right, cool. Ringu. That's cool. I have not watched the Blu-ray of it yet, uh, but I have seen the film. Pretty great. I do like, oddly enough, I, I like the Gore Verbinski uh, remake better. Oh, really? Strangely <laughs> enough. But I think they're both pretty great. All right, cool. Uh, so, as always, thanks everyone for uh, joining us here in the Stacks. Uh, wish you a lovely week. Stay cool. Stay oh, safe. Oh, my gosh. Get out of the heat dome, folks. Yeah. Yeah, go beyond heat dome. <laughs> we we need we need to get beyond heat dome. <laughs> uh, I haven't even seen that. I just know the reference. <laughs> uh, keep watching the stacks, everybody. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>